inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Hello, good morning, everybody. It's Monday, almost the end of November, the 29th of November today. How are you doing, Care? Great. We were just talking weather, as we tend to do on this show, uh, <laughs> and uh, I was just saying it's nice and still here today, so that's good. Yeah, it's a, it's a little little cool out, but in a good way. It's nice and uh, refreshing, so yeah. coming in from Woodstock, actually, I was in Woodstock as well all weekend, uh, Spending time with you and also with family all, all day Saturday. We all, well, I guess you're also part of my family, but uh, mm. we spent all Saturday with our family coming down from Scarborough. So it's a great weekend and nice to be back here in the studio at Radio Western on the Western University campus out of London, Ontario with our show Outlook. Outlook on Radio Western on all podcast services. Or you can always send us an email, outlookonradiowestern at gmail.com. And we have a guest again this week. We're live in studio with a guest. Uh, Zoom working out. Yeah, so we had a great guest on last week. Thanks again. Huge thanks to Heather Hutchison from British Columbia for coming on the show to talk about her book, Holding On by Letting Go. And also a little bit about her music. We'll, we'll bring her up again on the show for sure. And we're going to play some of her music actually coming up on a, on a future show. So stay tuned for all of that. Though, today we have a guest that we were supposed to have on two weeks ago, and we were so close to, to getting him through. But So this is what gets us to the weather topic, because uh, as people might know or should know, I guess, by now there's been flooding and rain and so much going on out um, on the West Coast, and our guests lately are from the West Coast. So. Indeed. So today we have a guest on the show by the name of Peter Field. So thank you so much, Peter, for coming on Outlook. It's great to be on here with you. So maybe let's start with weather kind of, I don't know, do you want to like paint a bit of a scene for people? Because it's so hard, Canada's so big and spread out and it's you feel removed from what might be going on as far as natural disasters and climate, whatever, right? But it's, um, so t- let us know where you are kind of and what's the situation been. Yeah, sure. Um, and it, I think it is important for people to know in the sense that this all started uh, two weeks ago, like on the 14th or 15th of November, um, we got one of these um, atmospheric rivers and we got something like 200 millimeters or 280 millimeters of rain, something crazy like that within about 48 hours. And what happened is that resulted, um, it eventually um, resulted in flooding that, that people have heard about in Abbotsford, but it also resulted in a, quite a number of landslides through the area. So there was about seven landslides, um, about two west of me, and I guess the other, well, two or three west of me, and then some some east of me, and essentially cut off all of the roads um, in and out of, of this small town that I'm in called Hope. So I moved to this um, small town in um, in June, thinking I was oh, going to start this. June. 
Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'm thinking I was going to start this like idyllic little lifestyle in a rural <laughs> community, and <laughs> of course, you know, I got here like right after the heat dome. Yeah. And then the forest fires started, but you know, thankfully, hope was out of the range of the forest fires, but they were sort of all around. The town of Lytton that burnt down is 125k from here, so it's like, yeah, okay, that's getting a little close. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, so then there's these landslides and I'm like texting my sister who's in Toronto and she's like, well, we haven't heard of anything happening out there at all. Um, and then that was probably like Sunday or something. And then Monday, my power went out, you know, just as I was trying to get on with you guys. So I was without power and cell service for the day, which, you know, it's only a day. Um, but when all that sort of came back on, I realized that there were 1,100 people across BC that were stuck in Hope. The the, um, oh. the the roads were totally closed. They were blocked, actually. There was no highway that you could travel on right. uh, for people to get back to, to you know, where they lived. So for about five days, this town of 6,000 hosted 1,100 people, um, which was amazing. It's one of those, you know, stories like come from away. Yeah, I was thinking something. that. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy where... Um, people opened up their homes and took in people and there was food and, you know, helicopters started bringing in food from other parts of the the kind of, you know, mainland here, um, lower mainland. And, you know, it was, it was quite something. So we got through all of that. And then um, last week they announced that there would be three more atmospheric rivers coming in. So we've gone through two, uh, now, I believe the second one has kind of just ended, like recently. It's finally stopped raining. It started raining on Saturday mm-hmm. and really just stopped raining here about an hour ago. So, you know, Monday morning at like eight, seven o'clock. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, so the the District of Hope is currently under a, um, a state of emergency uh, as a precaution. So... You know, governments do that in case, you know, they need to deploy certain measures. So, um, yeah, here I am in a sort of state of emergency waiting for another 100 millimeters of rain to drop sometime tonight. So, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, you're kind of in limbo waiting for yeah, the shoot a yeah, drop but, or something, as they say. Yeah, I mean, that. yeah, I mean, that's it, right? We're hoping once that's over, that's it for a bit, but um, yeah, safe and sound break. for now. Well, we say like beautiful places often um, are really hit hard by certain things like that, living on the coast and all of this. But it's so as hard as it is and awful, um, we all need to pay attention to this. We are so removed here, kind of. But that, um, you know, like you said, all the na- all the people that came, it just shows you the best of humanity also. It's great to see that. Oh. It, it is. And it was like, um, you know, I'm a little bit out of town, so I wasn't kind of in the town when kind of all this was going on i sort of ventured in a couple of times and you know could hear all the conversations around me uh people talking on their phones to you know obviously you know the family members and yeah i'm still here and yeah this is happening and that's happening no the roads aren't open yet so it was quite it was quite something but the uh the community certainly came together and that's great that you bring up community coming together because that's one of the one of the main topics we're going to get into today on on the show um, so we, uh, of course, of course, we're all thinking of you guys out there in, in BC and everyone. We know a lot of people out there now. I was going to say, back, back 
you know, about five years ago, I didn't know that. I didn't know anybody on the West Coast, and now I know. I know a lot of people. So yeah, we keep. I keep watch anyway because I'm thinking about everybody. So indeed. So we met Peter actually just earlier this year, I think, Carrie. Right at um, we had a trivia night. Online trivia. Yeah, there was a trivia trivia night through the CFB, the Canadian Federation of the Blind, and Peter was there, and uh, so sort of made a connection then, and uh, kept in touch a little bit since then. And Peter actually reached out to us recently mentioning that he was listening to our podcast and he was struck by the comment about the blind community needing to work together and just something that we have touched on on this show a bunch of is is really trying to figure out how to work together as a community here in Canada and the blind community in general seems often to feel sort of detached and so spread out here and just and especially with blind people and then deaf blind people there's a bit of a disconnect as far as it's crossing crossing different different disability because if you can't you know you know one sense is missing and the other sense it's hard to really know it does feel like two separate communities and i you know trying to work on bringing people together but it, it's hard so yeah i want to have we might wanted to have a conversation with peter today to talk about um how much does community matter and i you know i believe it does but um and then we also are going to touch here on this new podcast called the triple vision podcast which is also a part of a, a greater project called the pandora project mm-hmm. and uh, so we're going to get into all of that today but I think we should just start here with a little bit uh, about Peter and his past. So, Peter, if, if you could tell our listeners just a little bit about where you grew up as a, as a child and then maybe a little bit about your blindness and just how your overall experiences have been. You're in BC now, though I know you have some ties to Ontario and actually some really, really close ties to a city in Ontario called Tavistock. That, yeah, we got to start a, there, I, I figure. Which is a city that, oh, cool. you know, a lot of people probably haven't heard of. So uh, I don't know. Is it a city? Oh, yeah, maybe not a city, a Tavistock, town, more town, of a town. A I think, I think Tavistock would be overjoyed if you heard it being called a city. Uh, <laughs> it, it really is a small town. Um, but um, I will actually start back in Mississauga. So I was born in, in Mississauga, Streetsville, Mississauga, and then kind of moved to into Toronto when I was about eight years old or so. And then around 12, started having vision problems uh, in grade eight, Um I entered regular high school in grade nine, um, legally blind at that point. Um, So uh, I was wearing fairly thick bifocal lenses. Um, uh, At the beginning of grade nine, I could read a regular print book with those glasses, but by the end of grade nine, I couldn't read large print. So my vision deteriorated quite a bit um, that year and then continued to to deteriorate to deteriorate by the time I was 16, I just stopped wearing the glasses and, and got my first guide dog actually. So that's kind of my journey into vision loss at that point. Um, and then, um, you know, kind of went through high school and there's a lot we could talk about because I know the two of you have touched on this before in terms mm-hmm. of the integrated school system versus the segregated school system. Yeah. So we could get into that in a big way uh, at some point if, if you want to as well, because I've got lots lots of lots ideas of and thoughts. lots of sort of thoughts on that. Yeah. No, we almost think that needs a whole episode on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, yeah, we wouldn't mind anything you want to contribute here about that. Um, so that is a hard time. I mean, you know, everybody says that for times that these things happen. But I know I was ill a lot during that same sort of period of my life. So your transitions, your teenager, you're in puberty, you're going to high school and then stuff like that. Uh, how did that affect you that year? Uh, 
kind of how did you um, get I think I think it was a difficult year um I think the most difficult thing about that and looking on that was that nobody sort of it's funny to say but it was almost like I felt like nobody was paying much attention um mm-hmm. uh I've got this story where and I I don't want to take shots at the CNIB uh, but it, it is a story and just it is be, factual. Yeah, just so be I'll, factual I'll about what happened to you. And Yeah, yeah, it's more your experience, yeah, so, not an overall. Right, so the factual story is that um, my dad and I, took, well, well, this was sort of going on, my dad and I took a trip to, to CNIB to pick up um, some, some form or something or whatever, and I'm sitting there in the uh, sort of the social worker's office, and she said, well, no one has ever talked to you, have they? I said, well, no, they haven't. And she said, well, we're going to fix that and didn't get a call back. Right. So that was sort of the, that was sort of what was going on at the time. And I'm not quite sure why that was. I think it was because, you know, we're talking, this is about 1975, not a lot of uh, kind of information was around. Um, healthcare was sort of, I think, and I don't know this for sure, but anecdotally, I think healthcare was something sort of, you know, people didn't necessarily talk about in, in terms of certain things. And I guess, mm-hmm. you know, my parents were busy coping. Doctors were trying to figure out what was going on. And so um, it wasn't like uh, there was a lot of chance to sort of talk to uh, people about what was going on at the time. And I think that was the hardest thing. I mean, vision loss, you know, as we sort of talked about before, vision loss or blindness is a characteristic right mm-hmm. it's everything around that which which complicates things yeah. it's the whole environmental factors around that yeah and we definitely do want to do uh, an episode with a real focus on schooling and and comparing these the schools for the blind with integration and we actually reached out to you a few months ago about that as well and you've recorded a really great message about that um, we just, we really appreciate you doing that because we haven't, you know, it's it's really hard I find to get, and this is the time to the community, to get to get more information from, from blind people across Canada. And I think you were so far the only one who really submitted a, a message for that. Um, so we haven't done that episode yet. We don't really have enough. Well, like it's a, it's a sensitive topic, I think. It is. It's just tricky, coming yeah. to the forefront in the blindness community that I've been seeing is that we're starting to say, well, how, what was your experience like at a school for the blind or what was it not like? Um, but it also... Ha- it also often matters when you went and if you're indigenous, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, like, so there's variations. So we don't want to do an episode where we say that one is better or one is worse. Yeah. But I we don't. do want to be honest, like you said. Uh, so that's well, the think, whole thing. Yeah. And I think what you're going to find is it won't be a, a matter of one is better or one is worse, right? No. Different things work for different people and people have different experiences and sometimes it works and sometimes it, it doesn't. I would say overall it worked for me. Um, the integration to, to be to, mm-hmm. yeah the integration to be in a, an integrated setting and to you know stay there um, you know have school with my peers uh, be in the community with my family I think that was really important so I think overall it worked for me but I think there's pros and cons to to each of these models mm-hmm. yeah and I think just the the quick one to bring up now is just that seems to be that a lot of the sort of extracurricular activities, sports in particular, and certain subjects, maybe like science or math that sometimes can get quite abstract. Those seem to be areas where the, and this is just one example, but where the schools for the blind seem to, the students seem to excel a little bit more in those areas where, so my sort of opinion on all of that is I feel like I still think integration is the 
is more of an, a better option, though, again, you can't speak for everyone. Everyone has a different situation, but I just still think that that includes us in the community. But the problem is accommodations just aren't made enough, and people are still left out of a lot of activities if they're integrated into a school in, in a lot of cases. So that's kind of the, the issue there, I think, in, in is a big part of it, I- but... I think you're. I think you're right on there. I mean, I dropped gym as soon as I could. In fact, you know, I have memories of skipping gym uh, and hanging out in the hallways with uh, a couple of the guys who, you know, they were dealing with their own issues uh, because it was just so intimidating and there was just no accommodation. And yeah, I dropped math and science, you know, after grade ten as soon as I could because it just wasn't working out. Yeah. Um, so I think you're right on there, Brian, in terms of where the uh, sort of where the the lack is on on the integration side but then in turn the benefits i i find are you know you're you're also in in many cases you can still be at home with your family and you do fit more into Mm -hmm. the community by going to an integrated school so that's sort of the benefit that in that side but yeah yeah yeah, it'll be interesting to explore that issue fully. Well, yeah, like there's a, whole, there's a whole history to it, right? Like this history of institutionalization mm-hmm. for lots of different things and different people ending up in those places. And, you know, there was mismanagement and oh, things everywhere, everywhere, but there was also good experiences provided too. So, yeah, that, like school is the first community or one of the first communities we're a part of, right? Our, our environment with our peers um, to prepare us for life, I guess. So, you know, that does tie into how blind people see themselves, uh, depending on how much, um, I guess, ableism going on around in them in their communities that they absorb. Um, how did you find sort of, a, you know, transitioning to adulthood? Um, yeah, so... It was, you know, high school was okay. Uh, university, getting into university was fine. There were no problems getting into university. Um, at that point, was sort of being away from home for the first time. And I guess that's sort of a, more of a transition to ad- adulthood. And that was a bit more of a challenge. Um, so it took me probably two or three years, I think, before I was sort of, you know, settled and fine and feeling okay about kind of being on my own at university. And then you know, took my my degree. My my degree was in um, journalism and English. Nice. Uh, yeah. So, um, and then you know, out of university, now it's time to get a job. And then you're kind of in a whole new transition, right? Yeah. So, transitioning from education to the workforce is a whole other thing. So, um, yeah. I mean, change, I guess, is everywhere and all the time, and no different for anybody who's blind or not, uh, trying to navigate that change. Um, there, be, there may be extra challenges, but I think we all, we all do what we can to do it. Mm-hmm. So what was your um, interaction with other blind people then um, growing up or in your adulthood? Um, was sort of with these organizations or wherever you were meeting people if, or not? What was that like? Yeah. Well, that's a really good question. So it was sort of kind of touch and go, right? In the sense that... Um, my life would kind of intersect with certain blind people at certain times. Uh, As the 14 year old went to, you know, Lake Joe, the CNID's camp on, uh, on Lake Joseph for a couple of summers, you know, a week here and there. So interacted with people there. Okay. Um, We did that too. A little, yeah. Okay. Yeah. A little bit um, uh, with the, the, the community around that was being integrated at the time. So, 
I was part of like a pilot project, I think, in 75 in Toronto, uh, where the Toronto School Board was, you know, providing interveners and from time to time we would get together. But it, it wasn't it wasn't a community that I was involved with for a long time. So I kind of went all the way through high school, all the way through university. I knew people who were blind, you know, meet up with them here and there, but I was never really part of the community until... I graduated and then um, got into sports and started playing goalball in Ottawa because there was quite a goalball community there. And that's that's how, at that point, I started to get more involved with the blind community at that point. And as an English um, person then, I'm sure, you know, you understand, we talk all the time about biases and and representation in all media, but in, you know, in newspaper and in, you know, any, um, in literature. Um, the representation, like what role models do you have growing up and uh, how does that affect how you grow up? Um, but it's all about that, community, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's an excellent question, Carrie. And that part, you're, of course, you're touching on the Leona Godden stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, her Their Plant Eyes book, which sort of brought us together here, I think, in terms of the podcast. Well, I've kind of been because, talking about it all year. So yeah, it's been a lot of talk this so year. So why don't we keep talking about it? Absolutely, <laughs> Yeah, so I was really struck by her book. I haven't completed it yet, but it was sort of like, I think probably you, like, wow, finally someone has put all of this together, right? Yes. You know, in university, I would have studied Milton and, and so on and, and um, you know, paid sort of uh, attention to blindness representations in liter- literature. And, you know, like her, I thought, oh, was this kind of, you know, blind bard and Homer, like, really blind or... <laughs> <laughs> they just make that up, right? Um, and as she said, we don't we don't really know. It's so um, mythologized. I, <laughs> feels like. Sorry, what was that? It feels so mythologized by this point. Yeah. So it's hard to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and you know, sort of subtext to this, I grew up in the church. My father was United Church minister. So, oh. um, you know, that was part of our culture growing up. So, you know, all these biblical stories about blindness and blind people being cured and all that stuff, you know, you start thinking about, well, you know, what's true about that? So I think it's great that somebody has finally kind of put this together in a book to say, let's really take a look at this and and what this actually means. And that sort of connects to what we would said we were going to talk to you also about today, which um, we can get to jumping ahead a little, but, um, you know, about um, projects like the Pandora project. Um, But Mm -hmm. I guess, how did you get to, <laughs> I don't know, the people you're working on that project with, um, Yeah, have you known them all for a long time? Some of them I have, a lot of them I have. So Charlene Ayotte, uh, the Pandora Project is her idea, and Pandora is her name, is oh. her, her, her title. Um, so Charlene, uh, or Charlie, um, founded a company called T-Based Communications. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, about that because I'd, I'd heard of T-Based Communications before and I I think they had a scholarship I tried to apply for, but I was a little too late. I did get a scholarship actually right. through the AEBC, the Alliance for the Equality of Blind Canadians, another organization we'll get you to talk a little bit about that I know somewhat a little bit of information on, but not as much as I'd like to. So all of these organizations, but yeah, so sorry to kind of s- jump in there, but I, I just kind of would also like to know a little bit about T-based communications yeah. and maybe what you know about them. Yeah, I, I actually know a lot about them because I work with them in, in my career. So um, oh, okay. 
and I'm just going to date myself a little bit here, going back to sort of around 91, 92, when I first started in government, um, I remember going to a meeting on alternative formats. And at that point, the um, government of Canada was finally putting um, the need for alternative formats in legislation. And um, Charlene, or Charlie, as everybody knows her as, was involved in that. And we connected and and we sort of had a meeting of the minds in terms of, you know, the whole access to information area and blindness area and where this needed to go. And um, so we, we, we have been friends and colleagues really for, you know, for that long over, you know, 30 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, Charlie is also a very strong advocate, um, you know, uh, very much wanting to tell the story of our community, going back to community, uh, wanting to write a book about the history of Canadians who are blind, deafblind, partially sighted. And we would talk about that from time to time. And then, you know, I didn't have time to do it. I don't think she had time to do it. And then uh, at the end of 2019, I retired from my job uh, and had moved out here. And Charlie said, oh, great, you can write the book. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't, you know. I want to retire. I'm not going to do <laughs> well, not so much. I thought, well, great retirement project, but I don't yeah. really want to write a book on my own. So yeah. um, we got, you know, four or five other people around the table that we uh, knew about. So David Best, who you'll hear on the podcast, uh, mm-hmm. David's expertise is actually in the technology area, um, oh. formerly uh, with Air Canada and IBM in terms of technology and systems and so on. So, um, and actually here's an interesting piece of trivia for you. I think he was one of the first um, uh, uh, sort of managers of a, of a, of a technology center at Western, Brian. Oh. Uh, he ran like a computer technology center at Western, I think back in the seventies or something. Oh wow! You have a you have a so, Tavistock connection, and this, and he has a Western yeah, that's a Western right. connection here, which we're he broadcasting from. So. Oh. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. So we kind of brought him in uh, on the technology side, and then he ended up being one of the hosts of the podcast because he'd done podcasts before. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Ray's on the project. Uh, John Ray is. Um, uh, an advocate since the 70s um, yeah started an organization called boost which was probably one of the first sort of advocacy organizations for the blind in Toronto in the 70s oh, okay. um, and then know. we got yeah. yeah and then we got connected with Hannah Levitt who's the other co-host on the podcast uh, Hannah is a historian um, in um, Victoria and she wrote her uh first book her first book's been published on um oh i'm not gonna remember the name it's something like uh it's about belonging and the disability experience oh, so well uh, she, we can look it up or send that. us yeah yeah we'll yeah. definitely More look into that and love no, to have her to, on eventually to too yeah, with her. So. I, history is a big thing for me not 2000 year his history so much but um the, you know last few hundred years and how we how we got here um, and yeah. where we're going, which is what we're going to talk about, sort of your podcast. But um, I believe, and then so you guys did the first episode of Triple Vision all together as a big group. Are we missing someone? Yeah, or did we get the, everybody. Introducing the yeah, team. No, yeah, no, I think I think that's, that's everybody. The there's there's five. Five is the core team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just so 
Charlie came up with the name the Pandora Project because her imagery is like Pandora's box. Yeah, right? when she opened it, open this. Yeah, there's no putting it back in again. I, so ho- like, I hope okay. not, because that's how we're going to deal with stuff. I hope. Yeah, exactly. So once you tell this history, and once it's out there, there's no stepping us back in there. What's the was the idea so what happened was uh, i'll just be really quick about this what happened was um i went to canadian heritage uh and they have um a grant there called the canada history fund about um funding organizations which tell aspects of canadian history that people don't know about and i thought well that's perfect let's apply for this grant yeah um so uh, in their guidelines, there's a few things that they um, that they'll fund. One is um, learning curriculum. Uh, the other is sort of kind of multimedia or uh, sort of media stuff that would appeal particularly to young people. And third is a book, but sort of far down the list of the book. So the Pandora Project has these three components um, to uh, to do the to create some learning curriculum uh to eventually write a book um and to do these podcasts and we're waiting now for word on the funding but it was t-base who came through with the funding to fund the podcast for a year so that's why we're willing to we're we're able to move forward you can actually start on the podcast at least to to Mm -hmm. get going Mm -hmm. wait for the perfect time Oh, that's great. And all these names, these people that we mentioned, you know, it, it, and all these organizations we talk to here about T-based communications, we talk about the Alliance for the Equality of Blind Canadians. So many blind people, I feel like, still haven't heard of these things. And, and these people, we, you know, you mentioned David Best and Hannah Levitt and, and, and you and just all these people. And of course, you know, there's so many people out there. But the fact that we're this blind community here in Canada, we're all so detached from each other. And, you know, we haven't even heard of each other until... Recently, it's just. I think Pat, I, I think uh, Peter used the word um, fractured. Yeah, and I like that. That's it really word, paints yeah. a picture, um, like a broken, a broken limb kind of. Um, well, yeah, yeah and, and traditionally the groups haven't actually worked well together, right? I, right. And I, I think that's definitely starting to change. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I jumped on the trivia call and became a member of CFB. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, Canadian Federation of the Blind was because you know there's no reason for us to be this fractured and no reason for us not to work together on stuff because we all have common interests so mm-hmm. I, I think I, my sense is that's starting to change um, so I, I really hope so. And I do think as well with with technology now and Facebook and social media and all this stuff it's also allowing us to network a bit more and really start to make these connections a bit more than whereas back in the day unless you went to W. Ross for the Blind in Brantford here or you were you know, it's still very spread out and it just wasn't as easy as it, as it may be today. So that also, I think, plays into it. For our listeners right now, you are listening to Outlook. We are speaking today with Peter Field about the Triple Vision podcast, as well as the blind community and how we can become more united. We're going to take a quick break now on today's program. Then we'll be back with more Outlook on Radio Western. Listen to the news on this radio. Ah. You're listening to 94.9 FM Radio Western. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western. And we are speaking with Peter Field from Hope, British Columbia. Right, right in the middle of, what, of it all, as we were discussing at the top of the beginning of the show. But we've moved on to these other topics today. Um, and thanks again, Peter, for coming on. Yeah, pleasure to be here. So we were talking about blindness organizations. And um, I went to one AEBC, the Alliance for the Equality of Blind Canadians uh, conference a couple of years ago. But uh, what would you say... What do you think about all these separate organizations? Options are good, but too many. A lot of blind people, I think, are... There is still isolation. There is still a bit of apathy. I don't know if that's a Canadian thing or a wider community thing. But, um, but you know, these organizations pop up and then maybe someone's not happy with how one's run, so they start a new one. And it's the same, I think, with the with the library systems here. With the, with we have Nels as well as Sela, and a lot of people I've heard a lot of people saying, "Why can't we just have one system for everything?" But then you have a lot of people saying, "We don't just want one system. We want choice. We want a few <laughs> options. We don't want to just have to settle for one thing." So it's that sort of that balance of yeah, having too many options or not enough. So it's a yeah, like really yeah, really interesting questions. Um, all of this has sort of happened historically, right? Mm-hmm. I think. Um, Somebody I know uh, made a joke once, something like, uh, get in an argument, a new organization is for it. Uh, and I, I don't know why it has been like that historically. Um, I'm going to sort of, we, we might be able to talk, we might want to talk about this because I'm going to sort of go out on a limb on this one mm-hmm. and say, well, what, what sort of needs to happen, right? And what, you know, what is sort of the answer to all of this? And well, yeah, I think some I've people are some people are really full of talk, but some other people are just like, can we just take action on something already? And then yeah. others don't seem to have the, you know, whatever. To yeah. Do so, and I, I've heard on Outlook the two of you touch on the concept of universal design, mm-hmm. right? And I think probably at the heart of that, that's what all these organizations are trying to get to. Really, they don't use language like that. But it's all about how can we sort of invite the world into a more universal design approach where systems and processes and so on are designed to meet the needs of everybody, including um, people who are blind, right? So um, I know AEBC uh, best, and I would say, although the language that that organization doesn't use um, all the time talks about universal design, I think its advocacy focus is about changing the world to meet the needs for people who are blind, partially sighted, deafblind. So at the heart of it, it's universal design. I'll I'll pitch it over to you guys, because I think you know Canadian Federation of the Blind best to say, you know, what do you think their focus might be? I would imagine it's sort of touching on the same thing. Yeah, it seems to be be another tricky sort of thing to where it's like you need to have one sort of primary focus as an organization. So I would say that the CFB seems to say that the the, pri- the primary focus is advocacy, being an advocacy right. organization. Mm-hmm. But then is there's that debate with that compared to being a ser- providing services for people and social opportunities right. and that type of thing. And I just think if it's just strictly advocacy, sure, you get people interested and that's a, that's a big topic, but a lot of people f- can find that kind of stressful. So I do think having a combination mm. of that with with the the services and just some, 
you know, sometimes I, again, this is more of just a personal experience. I would never speak for everyone, but I find certain organizations like the CNIB, and I haven't maybe been involved enough the past few years to really have a a fully honest comment, but I feel like sometimes some organizations and maybe the CCB, which is another one here in Canada, that they focus a lot on, you know, meeting for coffee and, and these social events, which are important, but sometimes I feel like it's it's almost too sort of casual and social and they don't always talk about, you know, some of these these major, more universal things or, or sometimes it's more the higher up people or people that are in different positions, not as much the the average sort getting of Getting everybody in on it, yeah. Yeah, the, the community out there. And I think that's why I liked the CFB getting involved especially a few years ago. Now, it's it's like anything. It's it's hit and miss, and it's also advocating. It's so hard, and the, the CFB is also very small, so sometimes it kind of feels like, mm-hmm. how are we, what there's are just, we doing? Like, how are yeah, we going to... Whatever, whatever our main mission is, there's just not enough people there do, to do it. So. And that's, and that's well, yeah, why the, sure. the, the spreading out of all these, having so many different organizations, in one sense is great, but in another way, it's like, sometimes you only have time for so much, so there's people that are just members of this one or just members of that, and then that starts to create a lot of drama between organizations, and that seems to happen everywhere, even in like the U.S. and stuff too. To where, oh, I'm part of this organization, and but I don't, I don't like this organization, and I just all of that stuff is so frustrating to me. It's like, why can't we all just work together? And yeah. sure, we do different things, maybe to some degree, but we're all trying to accomplish the same things. I think in, in exactly. many ways, so it is frustrating exactly. sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no, I I hear you 100. percent So you know, it's important to turn down the volume on that drama, right? So. Um, that's that's something I try to stay away from in terms of you know this organization against that organization because we're all really have the same purpose. But I, I'm glad you raised the idea of um, or the notion, Brian, in terms of um, what is essentially peer support and social right. support. Mm-hmm. So I'm forgetting that a focus of ABC and CFB I think is, is peer support, right? Supporting. Um, uh, blind people supporting other people who are blind and uh, and the feeling that um, you know some of these organizations these so-called consumer-based organizations are in the best position or one of the best positions do that because they they are its members are blind so can sort of lead the way in terms of supporting people and what they need I, I don't think it has you know I, I think I think it has to be more than that I think you know there needs to be other systems and supports around um, I'm going to make a, another big leap to say, you know, something like the Accessible Canada Act, you know, that, you know, that is another way forward in terms of how things will change to start to get more at the sort of universal design of things. Uh, how do you design transportation systems to be accessible for everybody? Communication systems, how do you design a procurement, pro- a procurement process? So anyway... I think you have to kind of put all of this together and and try to figure out, you know, so everybody has a role, I guess, right? Everybody has a role in trying to make change and trying to make uh, things for the better. So we just need to kind of not play our role, but just understand that everybody is playing a role and everybody is sort of part of this giant ecosystem to try to make things better. And it's like Sounds a bit Pollyanna. I know. No, but it's like society as a whole. That's the same thing. We need to realize all that you just said in society wider in wider view. But of course, in as we said, like any time there's a community, a congregation, a political party, an organization, people are um, can get emotional, and like you said, heat can get turned up on things that because it really matters to you. It it affects us directly, right? So. 
um, there's people working in the industries and all these areas um, somewhere, you know, here and there. Um, but it's mostly a lot of volunteer time. Um, yeah. And it's, I don't, so I don't know if there's answers to some of this. <laughs> um, it's more, yeah, just starting to get it out there. So more people are thinking and talking about yeah. it and the more the more it gets talked about and that's why this triple vision podcast is is also in the pandora project is so important because it's just another way to you know we don't talk about this history enough of, of blind people and and we don't know about it and that's holding us back to be able to progress and and then tying back into the the drama and stuff is of course not every organization is going to do things perfectly but i think the, the thing is instead of just you know totally dissing an organization i think the better approach is to you know, some constructive criticism, I think, is always okay if you have certain concerns to bring sure. that up, but not to just say, oh, this organization sucks or this thing's terrible. We yeah. still feel like there's a lot of, like, the feelings of, like, that under the surface, but that a lot of it just is not spoken. We're not, we're not, we're not supposed to rock the boat. We're not supposed to say anything that, yeah, mm. I feel like there's, a, there's some code of silence still that Yeah, it's like the exists. status quo that you just sort of fall into place and don't bring up any concerns and just yeah. get what you, get what you have and don't, at least you can get this so you shouldn't you should just settle for this and not ask for more and i just find that so so frustrating and unfortunate and it's a uh, so knowing our history and having pride in the, in in that and um you know how far we've come is important so that's what the triple vision is it's the past present and future of blindness in canada um so like what kind of things are you hoping it will do um well I yeah, I think exactly what you, the two of you just said. If we understand our history, we we can know and appreciate where to go next. And um, and triple vision is not just for the blind community, of course. It's for the wider community. Um, yes, that's and, exactly uh, too. It's a true two prong thing to me. Yeah, and I wanna. I listened to your the podcast from two weeks ago when I was supposed to come on, and I thought you guys did an admirable jo- job of talking about triple vision without me. <laughs> yeah, we had our notes already, so. <laughs> you guys went on for like 20 minutes, and I thought, well, you really nailed it here. Um, but Brian, I wanted to answer one of your questions about why AMI, right? So Right, yeah, we brought we that up. Accessible yeah. Media Incorporated, and I th- that was an excellent question. And I thought, well, you know, first of all, we thought we might do it on our own. And then someone suggested, well, why don't we go to AMI? Like, this is their mandate. This is what they're supposed to be doing. And we thought, okay, that's that's a perfect fit. We'll go to AMI. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned, you know, why did we not go to CBC? And perhaps we had our own, you know, unconscious bias ourselves at that point, not to even think about CBC. So I think, you know, I haven't talked to the team yet, but I think that's an excellent idea. Um, I think this would um, fit perfectly well uh, on CBC and, and get that greater audience that we're talking about there. Because there's so, enough, so many stories from the past and the present and it going into the future. Mm-hmm. There's so much you could do on a show like that and we just need to see more of them. Ours, yours, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. It's, 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 I'm glad that you bring this up because it's, it's one of those things I'm not trying to sit here and say, oh, AMI, it's a bad idea to have it there because AMI is a great service and there's yeah. definitely yeah. some amazing programming and podcasts. And so AMI, for our listeners who may not know, we've talked about it before, but it's Accessible Media Incorporated. And it's a Canada-wide TV and audio, both TV channel as well as an audio internet um, service across Canada. But my, my only problem with that is that most people hadn't, haven't necessarily heard of it, especially if, they, if they're not blind. And I think yeah. while it's really important that we do keep this, a lot of this, it, the blind community is definitely involved in this in this stuff. We don't want, you know, 
all sighted people telling our stories. Well, that's the push pull that I, I feel all the time about who are we doing this yeah. for and what, what right. are we doing and who for. And But I think, yeah. as we say, this is all so much volunteer work and so much time and you only have so much energy yeah. that you need your you need allies. You need people who are sighted yeah. to know about all of this stuff as well. And I think some in some ways by having it through AMI, it could sort of limit that a bit, but hopefully it can get enough enough publicity and talked about enough and yeah maybe some t- sometime could get some coverage on the CBC or some wider network that would reach all Canadians yeah. and, and the sighted population more so as well yeah and we struggle with that uh, to, to be frank in the beginning where we, we you know we sort of talked about well we don't want to be specialized why do we need you know why would we want to go to a so-called and putting that in quotation marks specialized service such service such as AMI but you know the fact that AMI may have some reach in terms of, you know, getting it out on the other podcast platforms and so on, we thought, okay, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's what we should do. Um, you know, um, maybe we'll, we can benefit from, from their reach. Um, I think about it now, I don't know if their reach would be any more than, you know, your reach through Outlook because you're, you're going out, out on the same uh, podcast platforms as well. So right. well, that's the amazing thing today is yeah, you can just, you know, you just submit it to these things and then they, it goes across all these different yeah. platforms. So, you know, it does give people th- that access, but it's just, it's also really trying to promote things and get things out there when there's just so much already so out much there noise to, and- to get the, the, the message to come through. Um, one other point I did was thinking about that I just want to bring up so I don't forget it is that I have noticed more and more, and I noticed this on and off throughout my life, but especially lately getting more involved in the blind community through the CFB, in my case, and still hearing a lot of blind people, both old and young, I guess, but I'm thinking in this case maybe of younger people even, that just seem like they don't want to be part of any blind community. They just want to fit in. They just want to sort of blend into the world and not have to be in a separate and a blind community. And, you know, I've brought up these CFB and this and that, and some people are just like, oh, another one. And I just, it's so frustrating because you, you, yeah. we do need to work together, I think, as blind people to to make these changes. And we do have to have some involvement in these, but I also understand that sometimes yeah. you just want to get through the day and you don't want to, and then these yeah. communities cause all this drama. So I think some people are just like, oh, I just want to yeah. stay away from it. I've heard I've heard that a lot. And, and I'm going to suggest that perhaps you know, there is a point in people's lives where they, they do need to be kind of on their own and, and navigating the world on their own as hard as that is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a personal choice, right? Like these organizations are there to support people if they, if they want support. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, me navigating the world on my own sort of between the ages of 14 or 18 or whatever before I went to university and and you know navigating that world with my peers as hard as it was i probably benefited from that in the long run so it's not a it's not a one size fits all approach and it's not you know an an and or you know or it's this sort of you know and 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 well like Like, we say blindness is the characteristic right and so we all have maybe Mm -hmm. maybe have that but to different degrees Yeah, we're all still so different Um, in many ways yeah so it's just yeah people at different times in your life, you're going to do a different thing. But, um, yeah. So that yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think your experience there is similar to, to mine and, and Carrie's to some as well, I think, to where I just getting into my 30s here and then finding out about the CFB and getting back into the blind community. But I was out of the blind community 
pretty much all my life since maybe Other when, than I was, me, yeah. when I was, yeah, except my we sister have each here. Other. That's, that's different. That's the difference, right? Some, I almost, most people don't. I often forget that or I don't want to say I take it for granted because I, I don't. It's great to have, it's so awesome to have Carrie and have such a close relationship with someone else who's blind. But, you know, most, so many people don't have that. And um, so, yeah, aside from that and, and also then going to Lake Joe a few times up until grade three and then I hadn't gone, haven't gone since then, since 1996. Um, and a few things with the CNIB as a child. But other than that, I was integrated and all through my 20s, I just, I didn't really associate with any, many blind people and I wasn't yeah. in the community. And, and I do think you do, hopefully, and I think this could be the case for some people and whereas some people might just not, but I kind of got, it sort of just happened organically throughout my life that I got more introduced into the blind community again in my 30s and yeah. now I see its importance and you can't you know when you're 20 years old or something and this is just an example but you're still trying to kind of figure out your own life and live independently so yeah. to be advocating all the time maybe some people can do it but I couldn't have yeah. I think I was just trying to be able to figure out how to cook a, a hamburger on the, on the stove so you know all of these things that I- yeah, I think it's like anything. You give people opportunities, right? You make sure that they know that the opportunities are there, right? So if you're going to um, uh, sort of, you know, 14-year-olds or 16-year-olds or 20-year-olds, it's, it's making sure they know that the opportunity is there. Now, having said that, um, there's a, a, an excellent organization here in BC called Blind Beginnings. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yes, we. Yes. Um, yeah, you know about Blind Beginnings. So, yeah, that was great. Um, I learned know, about it at one of the CFB conventions, actually. So that's right. how we hear so about they, these things they, often, right? That's right. So they provide these opportunities, right? And yeah. and um, that is run, as you know, by a, a woman who is blind and, and started this as a way of uh, providing uh, kids and young adults with with peer support and, and so on. And I think that's great. So, you know, it's all about providing those opportunities and, and letting people come to that and participate and not and choose right because you can't you can't sort of force people to join these organizations or nope. or whatever and and you know and, and something like that is is probably less about advocacy and more about peer support and more about interacting with peers and establishing you know those social relationships so I'm not surprised that, you know, people in their ten their teens are not gonna want anything to do with advocacy. Exactly, yeah. You know, they're gonna be much more about, well, you know, who's my peer group and how can I interact with them? So it's up to us now as adults here to set a standard that they can see and not be like, ugh, drama and ugh, pol- political yeah. advocacy fatigue, like we've said before you can get. Um, it, but I also think it's like, sometimes people also like are come together for more than just the blindness that you know whether it would be music or like you said sports and goal ball or technology um also showing that like we say we have multifaceted lives and so other ways of other communities we can form inside the bigger community maybe um for to provide yeah. more positive um i don't know i'm trying to think of suggestions all the time of how we can not you know yeah avoid the pitfalls and, and i think that you raise a good point, Carrie, because I think that needs to be branched out other than other than the the blind communities. So mm-hmm. I remember now when I was um, living in Ottawa, um, I was connected with the Rideau Canoe Club there because um, we did some dragon boating out of the the Rideau Canoe Club, um, and uh, there was a program running there called Paddle All. And I think they got some grant money to sort of um, instruct people and get uh, people with disabilities involved in kayaking, right? And that was just great because I'd done a lot of canoeing, but I hadn't done any kayaking. So 
uh, I went down there and, you know, uh, for I think six, six weeks in the summer or something, got exposed to kayaking and, you know, regular size kayak, sprint kayak, and it was just great. And that was totally, you know, within the community. That was totally the Reno, Reno Canoe Club taking that on and providing those opportunities. So it wow. needs to happen at that level. And biking is sure. a big thing now. Um, so I think something, I don't, the thing I'd like to get back into is um, tandem bike riding. And um, I just wish there were more of those sort of um, um, services. To be able to partner with somebody to... To, like a, like a yeah. biking a, a bicycle Cycle. club, but with for panda, with the tandem bikes, um, something I would be interested I, in as far as my ability to be athletic. That's what I'd like to do. So it's hard, yeah, making the connections in our own communities and then with society, it's a crisscross of things. Right. So I'm a runner, so okay. um, I rely on guide runners, and mm-hmm. uh, I've achieved most of my success finding guide runners through Facebook, actually. Uh-huh. Um, I've had some success through BC Blind Sports Association. I had two really great uh, guide runners there, and I still run with them when I'm back in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I moved from Vancouver to Hope, one of the very first things I did was reach out to the Hope running um, Facebook group and said, "I'm gonna, I'm moving to Hope. Here's my situation. I'm looking for guide runners." And like two or three people jumped up right away and said, "Yeah, we're we're you know we're willing to guide." So. I'm kind of in the midst now of establishing that network uh, out here. So that's, you know, it's very, very parallel to what you're talking about in terms of tandem biking, carry is to try and make those connections within the so-called, well, the the so-called sided community, right? With bicycle clubs and so on to say, hey, can we get something going here in terms of tandem cycling? It's a very similar kind of approach. And this all is tying into the the whole in, inclusive design and, and having yeah. having mm-hmm. everywhere to where, sure, it's great that we have these our our own communities that we're running, but to incorporate that into you know the a cycling club to where sighted people are going there, but then also blind people go there, and it's exactly and that's why, for example, like when I was I'm looking for jobs here, and I went instead of going through you know a blindness organization or the CNIB or something, I went just to to Leeds here in London, like the one that anyone would go to because. If you, if you yeah. keep going to separate ones, then it's still separating you from society. And even when I went in there, it was kind of like, well, we've had a couple blind people, but they still kind of seemed like a little bit, you know, like it was new or it's not something that they see very often. And I know, of course, we're still a small portion of the, of the entire population, but we're still pretty big. And the fact that, yeah. you know, a lot of us still aren't out there and, and these these places and these, these services don't know about how to how to um, help blind people looking for work. Like all of these things just need to be more integrated into society. And I think that's one of the big outcomes of the Pandora project, right? Is to get the information out there and the history out there to drive the point going into the future, past, present and future, that these things should not be specialized anymore. It's about how do we participate in wider society how do we play our citizenship role just like everybody else does you know what's the best way of doing that and and how can how can we move forward to do that that's a big vision of the pandora project and the way to be successful i think in society these days is that um you've got to realize you all work together right and, and it benefits everyone yeah. you know sometimes yeah. people we all have think- to do our part even though it's never going to all mm-hmm. be even but we still have to all do something and then you feel pride in your society and yourselves and your community and the country 
um, where we don't sugarcoat anything, whether it's indigenous issues or it's the, how disability right. with you know eugenics um, from the past. Yeah. So that's why you're, it's great all you guys are doing. And I, I want to say here again that Outlook is behind you guys 100%. And we like to just boost other people. We don't want to compete with anyone, as they say. I, I like to escape into the writing community often that's separate from blindness issues sometimes. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing in mm-hmm. that kind of community. So it's, you know, we have to learn how to function well in society everywhere we go. Um, and this is just one area where I don't know if you have any ideas of to end off on here soon. I guess we motor through We have about this. five minutes left here. Yeah, we can ask like, people are nervous as I said to speak up and once you do you feel empowered and then you to know you have people out there you can reach out to but what about people who are feeling like they don't have a voice and how do you get it because it's great your team came together for the Pandora project but some people don't know how to get something like that together to be able to really feel like we provide that with Outlook, hopefully, right? Giving them some, everybody yeah. a space to, to say something if they want to be said and maybe heard more than they feel they are already. So I don't know if you have any well, I, tips about being, not being brave, but how to... Well, I think that's a really important role that we talked about with respect to organizations like the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians and the Canadian Federation of the Blind, right? A big part of that is making sure that um, blind people who wouldn't speak out normally uh, might be isolated are connected are connected to a community and then you kind of grow that um i'll tell you uh, an example is um i'm on the uh, board of directors of uh, abc uh and there's a there's a gentleman who joined the organization i'm going to say about four or five years ago um older gentleman who who um later in life lost his vision and knew nothing about advocacy and nothing about peer support and, and, you know, very new. And, you know, he's really grown in the organization. He's, he's now a director as well and taking on responsibilities and he's got totally an open mind. And, you know, I think that's the value of some of these uh, consumer organizations, you know, other than advocating is to provide support to people and bring them along so that they're, they're not so isolated and um, they can be empowered, right? So um, you're right, Carrie, everybody has to work together. Everybody has a role to play. I think CNIB still has a role to play. Uh, consumer organizations still have a role to play. Governments have a role to play. So mm-hmm. it's about, you know, figuring out the best recipe that's going to work for people, right? And then it's... Because, sorry. Yeah, because just... the same recipe isn't going to work for everybody. Like no, that, Brian? that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's exactly it. That it's a different recipe for each person. Everyone has their own individual, you know, needs and and uh, and things that they, they require. And I just think it's, again, it... it a lot of it also does come down to, you know, we talk about governments, we talk about all of these organizations, but a lot of it also just co- comes down to us as blind people, which it's tricky because, you you know, especially like you say, when we're when people are sort of going blind or trying to deal with all that stuff, they, they, they need the support. Um, but I think it's also can be sort of intimidating for a lot of blind people to say what it's up for up to us to do all the all the work. And it's, it's not it's a combination of everything. Um, but we do need blind people to kind of step up and, and help out as best they can as well or so that there are enough blind people that you know maybe have more experience and that's why one of the things I do love about the CFB even you know the advocacy is is so important but it can be a little more exhausting in a lot of ways whereas the mentoring part I find very exhilarating because you know I've I would say that I am lucky that I've been sort of privileged and able to really get out there and and do these things like sit here right now in, in a studio 
to be the only. Well, I think there's actually there's actually um, a couple other hosts here that are are visually impaired, which is great. Um, but yeah, just to be a blind person hosting a radio show, you know, is something that a lot of people might might not get. So I want to. And I've also been doing a lot of mentoring recently. I talked to a couple students at W. Ross who are considering the music industry arts mm-hmm. program here at Fanshawe. And if one of them would get in someday, I'd love to help tutor them and give them, because, you know, when I took the program, I didn't have any blind people who had taken the program and to be able to sort of give me some tips and, and help me along. So I just think we need more and more participation from everyone to work together. And I think... I think you're right. I'm a, I'm a very optimistic person. So I yeah. do think, like you said earlier, Peter, that I do think things are getting better gradually and I think just with the, the opportunities now to be able to network through the through social media and and through all the technology I think that has helped a lot um, but it is a very gradual yeah. thing yeah it's, you can you can see change starting to happen right I mean going back to universal design I mean it's yeah. not where it needs to be now but you can kind of see it happening more and more with building codes I mean that's a classic example but um, it's, either, it's either like a framework being built, like you say with your podcast, past, present, and future yeah. framework, you know, um, or it's a puzzle and there's pieces that fit together or don't. Yeah, I mean, CBC, you know, has done more this year than before in terms of carrying the Paralympics, for example, mm-hmm. right? Right. So, um, you know, you can see that happening. Um, I, I think there needs to continue to be more representation of, of people who are blind, visually impaired, deafblind in the, in, in, in sort of mainstream media, but it is happening. Um, yeah. and it, it does take time. So, um, you know, like you, um, the Pandora project and triple vision, that's, that's what we're trying to do is to get that word out to say, Hey, we're here. Uh, we're participating. We want to participate in more, uh, participate more so uh, you know please give us the opportunities we're, we're ready to go Great. absolutely so yeah everyone check out Triple Vision Podcast you can find it through AMI website or on all podcast services and yeah I'm interested to kind of to keep following this podcast and just kind of curious too and I mean we'll get into this in, in future and we're going to have some other people from the from the Pandora project on the show hopefully but just kind of I'm, I'm really am curious to see how much and how everything does get covered because I hope a lot of the history does come out because like I did, you know, Carrie, we did a Canadian history show. Well, we started with talking to the, the blind history lady. That's her specialty. Right. And she's called that in the U.S. In the U.S. Um, and we spoke in, to her and she gave us a lot of stories and it was interesting, right? Um, all over the States. And then we sort of asked if she had any connection and she sort of did a bit to Halifax. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit through Montreal. A little bit through, through, oh yeah, Montreal. So, um, but there wasn't much. and we So then we did some research and we were going to do a whole other show on that or something. Yeah, because we found out about like the that there used to be a CFB before this one um, with Philip E. Layton that he started um, right. and who was also blind back then and like I hope stuff like that gets covered on the on the Triple Vision podcast because yeah, it's yeah. stuff That's I didn't fun. know anything about so I was like oh yeah, wow yeah. I believe Philip E. Layton is Jack Layton's grandfather if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken yeah. so uh, so there's kind of a cool connection there so yeah, so you probably know our last podcast that came out on November 23rd was on colonialism. We started mm-hmm. yeah. to touch on that topic, and we have the story of Doreen Demas, who is an Indigenous person who was blind, and her story about navigating uh, the W. Ross McDonald School and then going to residential school for Indigenous people and going to a regular school and you know how yeah. she just could not fit in, in any of those uh, sort of molds, I guess, so to speak. So... That was an interesting 
sort of exploration of, of her story and, and, you know, how the echoes of colonialism can sort of touch on that. Um, our next podcast uh, coming up, oh gosh, when is that going to be? Next week, next Tuesday, so a week today, um, is going to be, we're, we're calling it the history of the white cane, but it's more about attitudes around the white cane, white cane, you know, versus colored canes and yeah. how do people respond to that. Um, I'll throw out just a little teaser. The name of the episode is going to be called Cane and Ableism. Oh, nice. I like the play uh, on words. So, uh, yeah. So we've, we've got that coming up. We are definitely going to be covering off the now SELA library services issue that you brought up earlier, Brian. So, you right. know, so where are we at in terms of library services for people who are blind? Why do we still have specialized services? Uh, you know, is there a way for publishers to take more of that yes. on? So, you know, to, to, to make that simpler, um, definitely in the new year, Carrie, we're going to get into eugenics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know there's a huge history around eugenics, both hard, so-called hard and soft, right? So soft eugenics and in, in terms of, you know, doctors uh, talking to bl- their blind patients and, you know, saying, do you really want to have a child, right? Mm-hmm. What happens if, you know, your child is has the same condition as you are? That's kind of a soft eugenics thing, mm-hmm. right? Where, uh, you know, a, a person in authority is, is impacting on Harmful, on incorrect information choice. from someone that you're supposed to trust and should know better. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. it all goes so, into ethics and medicine and all of those things. So. Yeah. So we, okay. yeah, we're hoping to sort of touch on all of these things that you talked about technology um well you guys said you're you're, you're available right to people to email yeah anyone can email the triple vision podcast for if anything isn't triple vision triple vision 21 at gmail.com so triple vision is all lowercase with the number 21 at gmail.com and we're on twitter at triple vision 21 so uh so and yeah. it's what you, what you were sort of saying um, brought me back. Thank you nicely. Um, with your most recent guest there um, is that November is, still is, and is uh, Indigenous Disability Awareness Month. And so we're going to wrap right. up the show here soon. We'd love to keep talking to you, Peter. We'd lo- so we'd love to have you back. Um, yeah, hopefully we can so get you on again in the, in the future in a year or so from now and, and see kind of how things have developed with the Triple Vision podcast and where we're at with the blind community, which is always changing and we're always going to continue to advocate and grow and yeah we yeah that's why we do this show and that's why the pandora project is a thing and all of these all these things are trying to work to 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 make change so it's really great and well it'd be great it'd be great to come back on um you know by april we'll know about our funding for the other two components of the pandora project the learning curriculum and the book so um, hopefully this time next year I'll be in a position to talk about you know other the other two pieces of the Pandora project moving ahead exciting that'd be great mm-hmm. so thanks again Peter yeah thanks so much it's for coming on Outlook talk to the two of you Peter Field and everybody I just want to mention before we wrap up also do tune in next week as we say with um, and they also the International Day of Persons with Disabilities is coming up so a bunch of things but our um, guests next week will be um uh, B-C-A-N-D-S, so British Columbia Aboriginal Network for Disability Services. And I, um, I'm i just learning about them. But um, So we hope to talk to, to someone from there next week. Um, but yeah, thanks again, Peter. It was a great discussion. And yeah, stay safe. Well, stay uh, safe out there. For sure, for sure. And we will be in touch. Great. Sounds great. 
Uh, have, a, have a good one. We'll see you guys next week. Bye, everyone. <laughs>